Welcome to The Hidden Jin, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Hi and welcome to this very special bonus series of The Hidden Jin, The Interviews. In these episodes, you'll hear me talk to people from all walks of life who have had Jin experiences, are drawn to the stories of Jin, and draw lessons from these stories. You'll hear from artists, scholars, writers, journalists, and Jin exorcists. And even from me, as I discuss how and why this series came about in a very personal conversation with my husband. Thanks for listening and enjoy. I hope you really enjoyed the episode last week, our conversation with Professor Ali Alumi, who is, you know, 100% scholar expert, but also a very cool guy. Uh, this week, I wanted to pivot a little bit. I wanted to move a little bit away from uh, the scholar expert field and kind of talk to just somebody who's had some crazy experiences, more like telling stories around the campfire type of uh, vibe. So I have on this week somebody who I love dearly, uh, Shaheen Pasha. She is just an amazing, extraordinary woman in the work that she does. And also uh, her stories are freaky. I mean, like I first heard of these stories a couple of years ago and I've just remembered them ever since. And I said, okay, Shaheen, I got I need you to retell these stories. So let me tell you a little bit about Shaheen. Um, Shaheen is an assistant teaching professor at Penn State University and her focus is on mass incarceration and prison education. She's a journalist. Uh, she's also the co-founder and executive director of the Prison Journalism Project, which is all about providing incarcerated men and women the skills to tell their own stories through journalism and also giving them them a platform to publish their stories on. She is an award-winning veteran journalist with 20 years of experience as an international reporter, covering legal and business issues for Thomson Reuters, CNN, Dow Jones Newswire, and she's also the co-editor of the anthology Mirror on the Veil, a collection of personal essays on hijab and veiling, and a contributor to Burn It Down, an anthology of essays exploring women and anger. So, Let's talk to Shaheen Basha. This is a fun conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode, Shaheen. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. You're an incredibly busy person. And uh, I told our listeners a little bit about your background, but I want you to tell our listeners about your work in your own words. Well, I'm, I've been a journalist for about 20 years, so I always have that as part of my identity. So I'm a journalist, I'm an assistant teaching professor at Penn State, and I'm also the uh, co-founder and co-executive director of the Prison Journalism Project, which is basically my life work. It's, um, it's my passion project, and what we do is we teach incarcerated men and women around um, the country how to do journalism, how to express themselves. Uh, it's both educational in the sense that we, you know, do curriculum, we do, you know, we're working on textbooks, advising, all of that. But we also have a publication, an online publication at uh, prisonjournalismproject.org. And we receive submissions from all over the country. And we get to like work with these amazing writers and people that, you know, the rest of society doesn't know yet. And we're training them and like getting their words out. And it, I'm really excited about it because I think especially right now, when it's so possible for people to be forgotten. I think that, you know, the project is really giving them life. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. 
Yeah, a lot of people don't realize COVID quarantine has been tough for a lot of us. But for those who are incarcerated, they get to see nobody. So they can't even get outside of their cells. They've lost visitation. It's been really, really tremendously difficult. And, you know, this work that you're doing is so close to my heart. But here's my question. I mean, and it's a huge, I mean, I honestly, an incredible project and a huge project. How do you train them? Is it like virtual or you have people go, like, how does this work? Well, right now at the moment, what they do is they send us their work and, you know, we edit it and we, and we post it. But from within that, we also, we reach out to our, our men and women. We send them, you know, their, we definitely send them their clips on our website. We basically, all of our writers have a profile page where all of their work gets put up there and it encourages But how, how do they hear about you? How do they even know you exist? <laughs> Dogged determination. Ah, yeah. <laughs> no, um, we, we had started basically last, I mean, we've been doing the work, you know, I'm, I've been a professor for a while and I was going inside in person to, to teach classes on an individual basis. But, you know, we've been doing the work for a while. When I moved to Penn State, we launched the Prison Journalism Project officially September 2019, launched our website this year. Um, it was supposed to be, the work was supposed to be about, you know, the training and the education and going inside and the curriculum. Right. The pandemic changed all of that, you know, right. and we realized we didn't want to just put the project on hold. We wanted to evolve it. And we had this idea to create this publication. And with that, what we found is, you know, we started with a really simple medium page and that blew up. And it mm. partially was word of mouth with us, you know, basically talking to people that we knew we partnered um, with San Quentin News as well. And, you know, with through my sources and people that I worked with before. And then we partnered with the American Prison Writing Archive and they uh, connected us to the Prison Legal News who met, who agreed to put our submissions call for free. Oh, fantastic. It was the nicest thing for them to do. And it just went everywhere. And then Black and Pink put us in there as well because we wanted all these different voices to get, in, you know, the, to get inside. So a lot of it started with that. And then just kind of word of mouth just kept spreading around the country. And now we're getting submissions from everywhere. And, you know, people are really, you know, reaching out to us as well. Um, individually, like, what are you looking for? So we created um, this journalism primer that's on our website that, you know, we have a section in the share your story. So we have writing prompts, we have a, a primer, a style guide, all this stuff. Um, sometimes family members will send inside, but oftentimes somebody will write us and we'll just send it to them and then they'll send us stuff back. And, you know, we're working with that. And some people are just happy to get, you know, a piece out and, or a poem out and be done. Right. And some really want to work on their craft and so we do back and forth with them and through that we're seeing a you know a few writers a set group of writers are starting to rise above so we're going to be launching a contributing writers section which you know and we're trying to get our guys separately we work with the ones that are really showing promise and really interested where we go back and forth on pieces uh to get them published one of our guys just got published in the washington post that's amazing yeah so we're congratulations really- oh my god what fulfilling work as i hear you talk it's prompting all these questions in my mind because i'm so interested in this work but obviously this conversation is not not about this work but i do want to mention there's two reasons i'm having this conversation though because the first is because i want folks to know how we first how we know each other how we first connected were you following like the advanced case or undisclosed I, if I remember correctly, what happened was I, you know, I was a huge uh, fan of, you know, following the serial, you know, right, season right, one. Right. And um, I've been talking, you know, because I just saw so many similarities. You know, I have a, I have a, a loved one, a friend who's incarcerated, and I saw so, so many similarities, and I, I right. just passion for it. And it was interesting because my husband is the one that reached out to you. He did reach out to me and said, listen, he said, I have an incredible wife who does incredible work, and I need you to read her work. And I was like, 
what? Because <laughs> I have never, people do reach out and solicit, right? Like they want you to like, you know, read their work, promote it, but I've never had a spouse do that. I thought it was so lovely and he was right. And I'm so glad I did it. And I'm so glad we connected. And yeah, there's also that the fact that this work is very meaningful to you, but okay. But the real reason I set folks up before we get into this conversation is because number one, I want our listeners to get an idea of like, like all of our guests has very different backgrounds. Everybody I'm having conversations with around this topic of gin and the supernatural have very different backgrounds. But I also like to like build up your credibility and then like, I'm not crazy. And then bring it crashing down. (laughs) And I'm waiting for that to happen. Be like, oh, she's like, oh, no. Right, right. So you are risking some measure of your credibility. But look, it is what it is. You know, you see what you see. You experience what you experience. So let's like shift the conversation now, because clearly you are a reasonable, rational, brilliant, intelligent, accomplished woman. Now let's get into the gin stuff. First of all, were you raised in like a cultural identity or religious culture that that had any connection to this phenomenon? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm Pakistani American. I mean, I was born in New York, so I'm a New Yorker. But um, you know, my family's Pakistani. We're from Karachi, and you know, we're Muslims. So I think for me, the whole concept of gin and supernatural is is not something that was outside of our wheelbarrow. I mean, this is something we grew up with as just, you know, you, you believe in God, you believe in, you know, Satan, you believe in gin. I mean, you believe in angels. It wasn't something that was deemed as being crazy at, right. in that way. Um, so I remember, you know, my grandmother would be in Pakistan and Karachi and she'd be, we'd be lying in bed and she would tell stories about like, you know, magic and gin and like India, you know, before partition. And that's just what I kind of grew up with. And then I think that level of wonder was just, it was just so normal that that's life, that it's us and it's other things out there because that's what our religious beliefs and training, you know, said. I think as you grow older, you kind of go, oh, I'm never going to mention this out loud. And, you know, <laughs> I can't talk about it and I don't, you know, share stories in public about it. But, right. you know, my cousins and I had this standing thing that anytime we got together, you know, whether it was in Pakistan or when they moved here, even to this day, we tell gin stories. It's just part of like, our way of connecting. I think I was at your house and we started telling gin stories. We started telling gin stories. It was great. That was like, that was a while ago. That was like a year and a half or two years ago. Yeah. 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 Um, it is very much a thing. And I knew growing up, that was like the best part of seeing friends, mm-hmm. other friends who actually also shared this belief. And I also felt like we had this little secret where it's like all this other phenomenon that the rest of the world doesn't understand. We're like, oh, we totally know why it's happening. We, we can totally explain it to you. Um, but let me ask you, so when you, when you say like, grandmother was telling these stories were they stories that frightened you like were they lessons were they like how how did you think about the gin honestly I was a scaredy cat kid who was scared of everything and um I was terrified of the whole so they were, were they scary stories they, I, I don't think they were meant to be. They were just sort of like, you know, um, you know, my grandmother, you know, we're from, our family is from Lucknow in India and, mm. you know, very kind of spiritual in, you know. It's an old place. Yeah. An old place, very spiritual, very much, um, very Sufi, right? So I think also it's when you, when you're more into Sufism and Sufi, you know, when you have those beliefs, you sort of are much more open to, you know, the things that are outside of your line of vision, you know? Yeah. And I, the, the spiritual world is just another world to you because you know that's what Sufism is. It's about you know spirituality. Yeah. So um, I think that's those are the stories. It's just about like you know how old houses that you know you don't go into at certain times or her were left vacant for too long. My grandmother would tell stories about that. I grew up um, being told never to be outside um, at Maghreb at sunset with my hair loose. Right. Yep. That, yep. That yep. Same thing. Same thing. I and I am now a mother of three children and my eldest daughter is 17 with long hair. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's not happening. You're going to come inside. 
<laughs> She's like, mom, I'm like, no, no, no. There's a tree right there. You're not oh going my God. To yes. You're you know? going to bring home a gin in your hair, basically. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be like infatuated with you because of the stories we were told, you know, like yeah. somebody was under a, a tree in, in India. It's always in India, right? So it was under a tree in India and like they had long hair and then a gin fell in love with her. And next thing you know, she became possessed or she became, you know, connected and it wouldn't right. be known. And I'm sitting there going as a very, you know, rational human being going, there might, there are probably other issues there too, but what if not? And my right. what if not is enough to say, get inside. It's like, okay. do you want to test the theory, right? Like, do you really want to push this envelope? I totally get it. I mean, for, the, for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with what a Sufi or Sufism is, it's kind of like a methodology of practicing the religion of Islam, but it's like more of a mystical esoteric, right? I guess like in, in Judaism, you have the Kabbalah. It's, I guess, may, I don't know enough about it to say it's similar, but it, it's, it's basically like that. So you have people who are like very, very fundamentalist, very orthodox, and you have people who are like Sufis who are like, oh, it's all about the spirit of the, of the religion and the, this and that. So yeah, you're right. I do think that like uh, for families who are Sufi families, now my family was not a Sufi family. They were very kind of orthodox, traditional. My mother, I would say straight up like Wahhabi type, but so <laughs> nobody told these stories in our family and I was um, starved for them. I heard about it from all like the other uh, Muslim families that we grew up with where they did talk about this and then I would love to trade stories. Have you experienced things that you believe are inexplicable or the supernatural in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. When is the first time that happened? How young were you? Honestly, um, one of the first things I remember uh, was back when I was probably seven or eight or something like yeah I mean way back ago long ago where um you know we were living in this little one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn like a little crapple in Brooklyn and we were very poor and we had this five of us lived in this one bedroom apartment and I remember um my brother coming in barging into my room like our my our room our one bedroom I was sitting there I was like seven or eight and he's like you know what's wrong with you like why why do you keep going to the bathroom and I'm like, I haven't left the room. I said no. And he clearly, and I had very short hair. I was a tomboy. I had very short hair, you know, tomboy, bowl cut, South Asian look going back then. Right? And um, I think we all suffered that at one point. We but yeah, suffered that. But he, uh, yeah, he saw this little, what he thought was like me, but he was like a, like a little boy that just kept going from the bedroom to the bathroom. Right. And that was the first time I was like, kind of like, okay, that's weird because it's just, you know, we're latchkey kids. It was just me and him. So I was seven. He was 12. Oh, right? God. Really strange. And so of course, you know, that started freaking me out. And then I saw the exorcist, which still gives me um, nightmares and just ruined me for life. And that was sort of the first thing I was like, okay, that that's different. And, you know, when we go to Pakistan, my family, my grandmother would tell stories about, you know, this house where the light would come on and stuff. And I remember going to a wedding and some of my cousin was like, yeah, that house in the, you know, past the tent. You see that, that's, that's the house that, you know, and I was talking about was like a light was on. So of course it freaked me out. Um, but yeah, I think that's right then. But I think as I, I got older, you know, um, you know, we were told like in our family and stuff that like that, that kind of weird stuff is very strong in the women. And so like my mother, you know, used to have like dreams and they would come true and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it was just something that was part of our, our life. Like we knew, you know, grand, you know, Nana was a certain way. My mother was a certain way. And around for us, the girls around 13 would start, you know, like having experiences. Having experiences yeah. So have you had like premonitive, like, you know, like, like premonitions as well, like your mother? No, definitely. I, I do. My daughter does, you know, really? So, yeah. But it's straight, it's straight through like it. And it was a uh, Sufi chef once uh, told our family that it's very strong through the line of the mother. 
Oh, wow. And I've heard this over and over again, um, that these kinds of abilities, however you want to understand them, do seem to have like a family connection. Oftentimes it's through women, but um, I have, I have friends who are male who also have said that they, they, like their elders had some, somebody in their family had some kind of experience or had some kind of ability and, and they feel like they've kind of uh, inherited it. So that experience when you were seven, did that scare you at the time? Or you, were you just like, oh yeah, I understand that. My Nana told me about this kind of stuff. I remember my Nani or whatever. Yeah, terrified me. It because uh, I was sitting there going, okay, why? Why is there a little kid in the house? Oh my God, there's a little kid in the house. And I then the next year I I saw The Exorcist because I saw it by myself in my house. With oh no God, and watched because my sister told me I couldn't watch it. So as soon as everybody was out of the house, I put it in. That was I, a terrible idea as an eight year old. Terrible idea, and it literally to this day I I'm in my forties. I hear that theme song and I throw up. Oh really? That deeply internalized. Yeah, that was one that's one of the most terrifying. Even though in many ways if you go back and watch it now, like kind of from a, a like a detached perspective, it seems kind of hokey. Obviously the effects aren't never great. Again. I but will never watch it again. You'll never watch it again. It lives inside your head anyways. So, tell me a little bit about um as you're growing up. So then after that, after that experience when you're 7, do you think that was kind of like when the doors opened for you when the veils were lifted a bit? I think so. I think it's when I kind of understood that because I remember, you know, kind of growing up and and more stories in the family and kind of, you know, looking and I, I already knew my mother, you know, could like predict things. She would see for my mom, she always saw death. Like she always knew when somebody was going to die. And so she would, she would see it in the dream. And so she would always be upset and cry and no. And then it would happen within a day or two. Right. So like, oh, God. I, knew, I knew these things existed. And um, so to that end, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, I know it exists. So it's fine. Uh, when I was about in like, 17 or so like my my brother was always into weird stuff and so he was like he decided to start looking at like tarot cards and you know things like that and you know he taught me how to do them and that was I think um when things got very weird because then there was that point where like everybody in the family started having weird experiences like where you know like a woman with long hair and stuff and it was interesting because multiple people um that weren't related to us would come you know we had a lot of family members that you know when they immigrated to the U.S. came to our house first and so in the basement right when you're in New York you're like the port of entry <laughs> and at that point we actually moved from New Jersey to New Jersey and when I was 17 so we had a house oh my okay God, house so we had a house with a basement so definitely people were staying with us and um we created this little area in the downstairs and I can't even tell you how many times like relatives told us years later that, you know, they thought I was down because I, I was only my family had long hair at that point. I was short. And so how many of my family members would wonder why I'd be standing in the basement when they were in bed, you know? And oh my God. I just got chills. Oh, and one of them thought I was awake. And then I went away to college. And one of my other cousins years later said that he asked my mom, well, when did Shaheen come home? And she's like, no, Shaheen's away at college. And he didn't say anything. And then later on, you know, it was later on, years later, he said, yeah, you know, and my brother's friend, who's a white guy, refused to sleep in the basement. Really? He hung out at our house once, left and then he came back and he was like, I'm on the couch, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Okay. So, um, but I remember when we talked about this a couple of years ago, whenever it was now, you told me about what happened when you, your family moved overseas. And okay. oh, let me ask you this, because you are married. Where's your husband on the spec on the spectrum? Is he like eh, I don't know about this stuff, or he's like totally in? Oh no, he was really like whatever. Okay, when we, 
<laughs> you know, when we first got married, he's like, I don't believe any of it. Like you're, you know, because the thing is he actually, you know, his family is you know, his Canadian and his family was like the bleak, you know, people. So they used to yeah, go yeah. more orthodox, yeah. More orthodox and stuff. So he knew there, you know, he'd spoken you know, people, he knew there were things, but he just was like, whatever. Right. And he just thought, you know, it was nothing. I remember I was pregnant with my daughter, my first kid, and we had to move home for a little bit um, before we moved to a new place. I was living at my parents' house for a little bit while I was pregnant, maybe seven, eight months pregnant, couldn't sleep through the night. And he comes in the room, waking me up and I'm pissed off. I'm like, okay, I can't sleep through the night. I'm eight months pregnant already. And he's like, you need to come downstairs with me. And I'm like, why? And he's just like, just, I need to get some water. Can you come downstairs with me? And this is, my husband is a big man. He's a big, yeah. tall, strong, you know, broad man who doesn't look like he would need his five foot tall pregnant wife to come downstairs. With him. <laughs> um, we go down the stairs, he goes, you know, I'm standing there and he's like, I'll tell you tomorrow. And then the next day he said that as he was, um, the reason he did was because he never believed anything. And then he came, was coming down the stairs at like three o'clock in the morning to get water. And we had a mirror that was like right opposite the stairs. And he's like, he's looking, you know, as, as he's coming down, he's looking in the mirror, but instead he's, he's seeing a woman with long hair. Standing ah, the yeah. And then he's like, <laughs> me out. And then later he's like, it never happened. I'm like, yeah, but I never described what I, what the woman looked like. He described her to me. Right. Because I never told him what she looked like. Wow. When he described her. It was literally the same old woman that I look old woman, long hair that I, I know. And like my family, because I mentioned it to them, knew. But no. And he described, he's like, yeah. And he's like, I, for a second, he thought I was down. Apparently, everyone thinks I'm an old, cranky woman. <laughs> right. They all talk to me. But he thought, it, I, and then he really, he's like, I just left her in bed. It can't be Shaheen. Right. Mm. And so in that, in that minute where he, his brain was processing, it was gone. And that's when he came and got me. Wow. So let me ask you, so uh, it sounds like a lot of people have seen like this apparition, this woman, but other than just kind of appearing, has she ever done anything, spoken to anybody, moved anything, harassed Um, anybody? Yeah, we had this um, prayer this like a prayer that somebody gotten us from Saudi or Saudi Arabia, right? That was hanging on our, um, on it's the like a, a, an engraving or something like that. It was like, it was like a, an engraved piece that had a, a glass on it, you know, it was okay. like a, a globe, but it was a glass. And um, it was standing and we'd had it, you know, for years and it was nothing. And then, you know, one day, like my brother was sleeping downstairs in the living, he was just sleeping on the couch. And then like, there was this loud bang, right? this loud bang and this like this thing basically which was hanging just split you know and it, it split was, like in two it split in two like the glass was completely shattered and we're like okay maybe it was pressure or something but it it wasn't and there there was one the, the time I never told anybody about what I'd seen until I was there was this one time where I was actually because I thought maybe I was sleep dreaming or whatever you're in that weird place I was um I was awake and I was talking to my best friend on the phone and my parents, you know, strict Pakistani parents were like, you know, you have to be in bed by midnight, no talking to anybody because we're talking to boys kind of a thing. Right. So I was on the phone with my best friend at like one o'clock in the morning and I look up and I'm fully awake, right? Like my lights are off and the whole, all the lights are off in the house. But I look up and um, I see this woman in the doorway and I think it's my mom because my mom is also, you know, short, whatever. And I'm like, oh crap. I'm telling my friend, I was like, oh man, I'm in trouble, right? Like my, you know, my mom is here in the door and she's yelling at, she's going to yell at me. And then that's when this thing like rushed with his mouth open screaming. Like I didn't hear it, but I could see it. And then my friend was awake and I'm like, oh my God. And my friend is on the phone, right? And she was oh like God. on the phone. And like, I'm like, I, and she's like, what happened? Did your mom, did your mom throw something at you? What happened? And I'm like, I'm going to get back to you in a minute. And I was like, I just saw something weird. And then I went to my mom. My mom's knocked out. My mom and my dad wow. were like knocked out sleeping. And that's the first time I told my family and stuff. And that's when, you know, like 
there were like little things here and there. I think people have picked up on stuff and you don't talk about it because it's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, you know, for me at this point, I'm like, you know, they're ghost stories. And if you believe it, you believe it. If you don't, you don't, you know? Right. So this woman, this woman came rushing at you with her mouth open and then just what poof disappeared yeah, at the foot of the bed, at the foot of the bed. Can you describe what she looked like? Yeah, she was, she was um, short, right? So probably like in this short woman, kind of um, like long hair, like long hair centered parted, but like straggly. Like it wasn't straight. It was, you know, straight, but like, you know, like, and her face, I don't remember the details about the face other than it was very, like the mouth was just very wide. And like, you know, her eyes were kind of squinting because she was, you know, her mouth was just really, really open, you know? And I didn't luckily see her again for many years until my dad, you know, was in Pakistan where, you know, he had gotten sick. He had a heart attack in Pakistan. We had been in Pakistan for two weeks with him, come back, um, I'm sleeping in my room. My brother is sleeping in the other room, in his room. And my parents were both in Pakistan. And it was the first night we were back. You know, I wake up and she was like literally standing at the same foot of the bed. And I screamed. And that's when my brother like came running in. And he's like, what happened? As he came running in, she was she's gone. But then he believed me because at that point he told me that he had seen her as well. So, you know, he pulled his like mattress to the hallway and like slept in the doorway oh my god did you guys ever do any research about like whether there was somebody connected to the house that matched the description and you try to figure out who she was what she wanted no you know honestly i think that what it was it's because my my mom got very upset when she found out that my brother had been doing tarot cards and and things Mm -hmm. like that she's like you know you open doorways and portals and it's so weird because these are literal conversations that we would have in our home right like people talk about buying cereal and my mom's yelling at us about like don't open portals to hell and then portals out, to hell. <laughs> you know did you guys do the ouija board too no that is one thing i avoided like the plague because yeah. i just i you know i was like i would never do that I, those, those things scared me it's too much of an invitation yeah. that's way too much and it was one of those things that like even with the tarot cards like once that stuff started we were like yeah no my brother put those away and like but at that point whatever was happening was in the house already We'll be right back after this short break. So when you, when you got married, you moved out or you, you went overseas. I mean, it seems like this particular entity was kind of, it was at the house. It was connected to the house. It, did, it wasn't like some, some, they say some gin will attach to people. So wherever that person goes, they end up just following that person. I know somebody like that who has had that experience. Um, and so she sees the same thing over and over, um, the same experiences over and over where she moves. And then others kind of remain in there, but you moved overseas at some point in your life, right? As an adult or after you had kids or I don't know when. Yeah, yeah I moved to Egypt um, when after I'd had my second son. So I, when he was three months old, my my like my kids and I moved to Egypt. My husband stayed in the U.S. for another year and then he came with us. Yeah. So, and so I was, my third, I was 30 by then, I think. Okay. And so I, I remember you telling me about the experiences you had in this home mm. over there, right? Yeah. So let's and talk about that. Yeah. And just to be clear, like, honestly, you know, there's a lot of, you know, discussion, you know, about things falling because, you know, we've had experiences like all of us in different ways, you know, and different things like moving and different things happening, you know, what and people, you know, saying things. So I actually I understand what your friend is talking about as well, because these are conversations that we've had. So, yeah, that woman stayed there. But, you know, who knows, right, if people are attached or not. When I was, we lived in Cairo, was generally okay in Cairo. There's a couple of times, you know, little things would happen here and there, but um, larger on my daughter. But then when we moved to Dubai, that's when everything kind of like, 
you know, that was the point where I'm just like, okay, maybe I'm not. Cause there was still moments where I thought I was crazy. I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm, I'm crazy. And I'm like daydreaming or, or you're half asleep or you're oh, right. You're tired. Right. Tired. And you know, cause I'm a rational human being who will, in every, I'm the person that will justify it in some rational means as much as possible. Right. right. Before I get there. Right. Um, so when we lived in Dubai, we actually moved into this really beautiful villa that was right next to a mosque. Right. So I'm thinking it's next to a mosque. How much safer could you possibly be? <laughs> How okay? much spiritually safer could you be? Right? Exactly. Like, it's perfect. And then, you know, um, a couple of weeks into it, you know, I kept, I'm, my husband had to go back to the U S for something for, for work. So I was just me. It was a really, it was like a five bedroom house. My kids are sleeping in their room. I'm in my room and like, we're, and I'm just hearing the, the cabinets in the kitchen going bang, 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 like really, really loud. And, you know, I'm thinking, okay. And we, you know, obviously you're in Dubai, you always have like, you have domestic help in Dubai. So I thought, okay, it was our, it was my kid's nanny and she's pissed or something. And she's banging things. And I went downstairs and all the lights are off. Nobody's there and it wasn't happening. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. You know, I'm come back. I'm telling my husband, he's like, oh, you know, it's probably house settling or something. Right. We're sleeping. And then same thing. My wakes us up. Boom, boom, boom. My husband's like, that's gotta be the nanny. And I'm like, and your husband heard it too. He heard it too. Cause we we were both awake at that point. And then, you know, it was just constant. Then a little bit, we go back to sleep a little while later. We're hearing footsteps going up there because it was like marble steps. Because, you know, like when you go into like Dubai, they have a lot of more ornate yeah. kind of things, like these marble steps. And we're hearing like footsteps on the step. Like, and he's like, is the, are the kids sleepwalking? Because we're thinking it's the kids, it's something. And, you know, he opens the door, it's nothing there. So we're like, all right, this is weird. And then we go and my husband's like, you know what? Just to, well, let's just put, if somebody is moving around the house, we'll put like there was um this kid's gate there was this wooden kid's gate that we had put a that was across the top of the stairs because my younger son was about three we moved there so we're like you know if he falls down the stairs it's marble he could have really hurt himself so we had this right. kid's gate. so you know like if somebody they you know they would bang into it because they wouldn't know that it was up there right so we we had it and you know a couple of nights nothing a couple of nights later we're going we're hearing the banging downstairs so we wakes both of us up you know my husband grabs a bat right he's like waiting now right he's got a bat and at that point, then we, we're sitting up in bed and we can hear it clearly, footsteps going up the thing. And the footsteps are coming up the stairway towards your room. Towards our room, because right? the, the stairs go and then there's like a landing and then right and directly in front was my bedroom and then the bedroom to the left was my kid's bedroom and then we had a guest bedroom and an office to the right. It was a big house, right? So we're like kind of a dead center. So it's coming up the thing and... You know, I, I'm scared. So we had like actually that night closed the door because I was getting a little creeped out. I'm thinking maybe there's somebody prowling around the house. You know, there were a lot of robberies in, in Dubai in that area. So that's my husband at the bat. The door's closed and the kids' doors closed and our doors closed. And we hear the footsteps. My husband's got the bat. Now he's like pissed off. He's ready to do whatever. Right. And then we hear the thing slide. The gate. The gate slide. We hear it. And my husband jumps up and he opens the door and there's nothing there. There's nobody there there and like the gate is open the gate was open and we had closed it so that was like the beginning and then it just accelerated after that like I was you know downstairs my husband and I were watching Game of Thrones downstairs the kids are in like in bed you know sleeping and they had a bunk bed in their room and all of a sudden my daughter starts screaming bloody murder so I remember jumping out of the couch like running up the stairs my husband's following me right and she had um she used to sleep on the top bunk and we had one of those kids' tents that went over the top bunk, you know, mm-hmm. like they had little kids' tents. So she used to like sleeping in this kid's tent and she's screaming inside this tent, right? And 
I run upstairs, I open the tent and she is just pale and screaming. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, no, I woke up and I'm, I saw this, you know, shadow like outside of my tent and I thought it was you. Right. And she opened the tent and she's like, mom, it was not you. Right. Hmm. And then she's like, and then it disappeared. And that's when she started screaming. And she was six or seven. Hmm. Right. And like, but she saw, did she see a person? Did she describe what she saw? She saw a woman and she said like she saw the woman's shadow. And then when she opened the thing, she saw like a woman for like a fraction of a second. And then she disappeared. But she's like, I cleared. She's like, I thought it was you. Right. Mm. She was like, I was, and I was sitting up and I opened it. I just keep getting chills. I just keep getting chills up and down my body. Yeah, <laughs> it was scary. It was really scary because it was one of those things that I'm just like, this is crazy. And I'm this really respected journalist covering the Middle East. And, and I'm going in. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm going into work and I'm tired. And then it was funny. I told my boss, who's um, uh, a Somali. She's one of my best friends. She's a Somali Canadian woman. So she's Muslim too. Too. And I told her about this stuff and she was like, okay, that's really weird and scary. And so she's like, you know, read like something from the Quran and, you know, this is the conversation I'm having with my boss in the newsroom about this. <laughs> right? And so it's just, it's crazy. And then we're just doing it. And then it, it just started accelerating, accelerating like the banging and this. And then, and then our housemaid or nanny told us the same thing. She would, she would do it too. So she actually, one day I come home and she was, um, she was Christian and she apparently, while we were away at work, she went to the church and she got all this holy water so all over our house were these crosses <laughs> and, holy and holy oil all Look, whatever over. works man whatever works and she's like are you mad and I'm like nope I'm good <laughs> something's gonna work it's good I'm sitting here playing like Ron you can have something's gonna work right right and yeah I mean then it just started accelerating more and more and then it became really really common to the point like we lived there maybe close that to had two. to be terrifying for the kids too right like because how do you explain but, well, that's the thing. Eventually, we all wound up sleeping in the same room. We had a five-bedroom house, and the kids oh were in their room. And so we had a, a king-size bed. My husband's like, this stinks. I'm going to go sleep in the guest room. <laughs> when, so me and my two kids are sleeping in the room. He's sleeping in the, the guest room, does it a week, and then comes back. And he's like, nope, pulls a mattress out and starts sleeping on the floor in this room. And I'm like, well, what? What's wrong with you? Why don't you sleep in the guest room? And he's like, Okay, so I was sleeping, right? And he's sitting there going, he's sleeping. And clearly, he's like, somebody pulled his foot. He's like, he pulled his foot and jolted him awake. He thought it was me. And he's like, what? And he looks and he's like, nope, nobody there. And he he was trying to justify. He's like, maybe it's a good gin because it was like fudger time and I was sleeping through it. So maybe it was just waking me up for prayers or something, right? Get up and pray. Right, get up and pray. But he was just like, nope, I'm not going back in there. So by the end, because it was happening so much, we would all sleep in one room. And the, I'll tell you the reason I forgot why. The reason we started doing that was because my daughter was having a tough time sleeping in her room. She kept getting up in the middle of the night and coming to my room. And, you know, my son would something, he was a pretty deep sleeper, but, you know, she would always come down. And one night, my, you know, I wake up and I look to the door and I see my daughter. You know, I see, like, I see the same size, my daughter, short, short, South Asian, short hair, right? Right. She's standing there and I'm like, okay, you know, baby, you can come in, come in the bed, go ahead, you know? And then I like move, move to make room for her in the bed and she's already lying there. So I look oh, back. Oh my, Shaheen, stop it. You keep giving me, ch- I'm so freaking out. It was scary. It was really scary. And I'm, I'm, she's already lying there in between my husband and myself. And then I'm like, I'm look and I look back and then not only at this point, I'm awake now because I'm sitting up, right? And I'm looking and I look back at the thing and I still see this little shadow of like this little kid, but now I see a, a woman right behind the kid, right? Like oh I see the shadow God. and it looked like a woman in like a, a niqab. Like it looked like a woman in a burqa, like right behind. And that's why I'm like banging on my husband's arm and I'm like 
waking him up. And so I grabbed my son and I was like, no, I'm not going to let him sleep by himself in his room. Right. So like all of us started sleeping in one room. That's where my husband went to the other room to sleep and then came back. So it was like three of us in the king size bed and my husband on a mattress on the floor. So at some point when, I mean, cause I feel like, how can you even like rest? How can you emotionally and physically rest in a house where you feel like you're certainly not alone. Like there's something that like the, the psychic toll it has to take over time. It's got to be really difficult. So were you thinking like, okay, we just have to get out of here or we have to find a fix or what is the long-term plan in response to this? Are you just in their space and they want you out? What did you think was happening? Well, that's, I didn't know what was happening. It was really scary. But the problem is when you moved overseas, especially if you live in Dubai, you have to pay rent for a year mm. and that rent gets taken out of your salary. So I could not cut the lease for any reason, you know, I would, it would have been literally all of it would have still been taken out of my salary and I wouldn't have been able to afford another place because you have to pay for the entire year. And like, it's not cheap. Dubai is very, very overpriced. Right. So it was one of those things that I was like, okay, we're, we're here, we're stuck here. Right. And, um, was it an old home or like, what was it? It was newly built. And this is the thing, right? So it was a, it was a newly built home that was next to, it wasn't like maybe a couple of years or something. No, it was actually newly built. There was another home that was like maybe a few months early. So they had been building this development of these really beautiful villas in that area. And I come into work one day and there's this newspaper called, there was this newspaper called Emirates 24 seven in Dubai. And I come into work and there's a newspaper on my thing and my boss walks up to me. She's like, turn to page whatever, seven, right? And apparently somebody in Emirates 24-7 wrote an article about how that entire area of Jumeirah 3, where we lived, was plaguing the British expats because British expats kept moving out because they kept saying it was haunted. flying and it was in the friggin' newspaper and like then my friend my boss is like isn't that your neighborhood and I'm like yes that's my name it's all these like people from like all over England and Australia are being quoted and they're going I'm sitting there and like glasses are flying off and I see these people and all the bang the banging is too much and like the rattling and the bang it was really crazy and then at the very bottom because apparently they didn't know how to write a story so they put this at the very bottom of the (laughs) buried it was that that entire entire neighborhood was built over a graveyard the whole neighborhood had been built over a graveyard. With the Dubai sprawl. They just yeah. kept... There's not enough space there. Yeah. So they had to... Oh, my God. That's... All, all built over a graveyard. Yeah. Wow. So well, that can did... really hurt property values right there. <laughs> this is Dubai. Okay. <laughs> That's true. We'll move in. Wow. And we, and we stayed there for a while. I mean, there was one point where I remember... Um, sitting up and my husband was like on the mattress and we started, you know, locking our door at that point. We'd closed our door and we were locking our door and, you know, all five, all four of us are in the bedroom. We're all sleeping, same banging, 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 footsteps, footsteps. I wake up, you know, my husband wakes up. We're like basically sitting there looking at each other and then the footsteps come up and then it's right outside of our door. And my husband's like, are you sure? Maybe there is somebody in the house. And he's like, cause that's really, that's right outside. And we're whispering to each other. And I was like, yeah. oh, maybe. and it just sounds too real. It sounds to me, he's like, I think there's somebody in the house. He's like, I think somebody, because, you know, the robberies were here. So he goes to get the bat, and then the door starts, like, the doorknobs are shaking. And he's like, holy crap. He's like, there's somebody at the door. So he gets a bat, and he get, opens the door, and nobody there. Wow. And so, so, so scary. at what point did your husband go from, oh, I don't really believe in this stuff, to, oh, this is definitely real? <laughs> I think since he married me. <laughs> he married me I think he kind of was just like he would hear things and then he was like okay now I'm experiencing them with you and I think Dubai really clinched it for him I think that was the moment he was just like all right you know these things happen and we had actually went to the you know the imam at the mosque next door um 
And then apparently everybody, all the Muslims in the neighborhood that were at the mosque were like, oh yeah, that happens in this house and that house, it's the entire neighborhood. Right? It was so really they, common in the neighborhood. Very common. So the imam started telling us, you know, you have to do like Surah Bakra and you have to have it on play all night. And, you know, it was one of the things like I, I didn't want to tell my mom because I was like, I don't want people to not come visit, right? Because it's, <laughs> Don't tell them about the gin. Come, the beach is lovely. The weather's great. The shopping's good. And like my sister came and she she actually lived with us when she was waiting for her her house to be ready. She was living in Dubai. Then she came and lived with us for like two, three months. And then later on, she's like, yeah, your house house is a gin. (laughs) Your sister uh, experienced something too. So when you came back to the United States, so how long ago was that? That was, um, we left that house 2012 Christmas. Yeah. Mm-mm. Did you um, sense like, I'm just wondering like, because, you know, people have like kind of a sense, uh, well, people have these experiences will sometimes get a sense of some kind of overriding feeling. Like some people will describe like there being an incredible kind of sadness around this entity or or they feel, they can sense like malevolence or or anger or something. Did you get any kind of sense from these, from these, this, whatever this entity was in that house? I think I think it was just uh, was more like we were in their space. I think. You were in their space. I think the kid was playful, you know, and the kid was playful and wanted somebody was like just playing. I think the mom, or I'm 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 projecting here. Whoever the longer woman was, right? I think that she was just kind of why why are you in the house? Sort of a mm. thing. You know? I, I don't think there was anything like malevolent, but I just think it was it was scary because. I like to be in this reality and I like that reality to stay far away from me, you know? Yeah. Which, which takes me to um, another question. I mean, so you've been told that you have a lineage of, mm-hmm. of, of having these abilities, right? Like, which means if you wanted to, you could really cultivate them. Have you thought about that? Sometimes I'm thinking I should, but it's part of my family. So I just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, it, you know, it is what it is, but it, you know, it's also something that like, I don't talk about. And if you were not my friend, I would not be talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> I do appreciate it. Um, because look, I know you're putting yourself, I've asked other friends too. They're like, do you understand? I have a professional reputation to protect. <laughs> I, was telling, I was telling my partner, I'm doing this. She's like, really? And I was just like, you know, my work stands for itself. Okay. It does. It does. It does. And like I said, like we have a whole spectrum of really like people from all kinds of different backgrounds, not just, not just professional backgrounds, but like religious and cultural backgrounds who also um, are going to be having conversations with me around this. So it's been great. Well, when can I ask you this then uh, just as a, a kind of a closing question, when is the last time you had an experience that you feel like was a supernatural experience? Um. You know, honestly, it was probably like a couple, a few months ago. So, you know, what? I mean, like, this is like stuff that, you know, my husband basically is like, he like, he told me he's like, I married into a very annoying family. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, he's just like, I don't know what to say to you guys because it, it, that's what I was saying. He's like, you know, obviously there's something attached to your family or, or you draw it or whatever. Right. But like, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, like kids' voices, like uh, kids' voices, and I didn't say anything to anybody about. Wait, it. in your house? In my in like this uh, this house that we were renting, and not this one, but the one before that. And like I never said anything to anybody. And then um, my son, he's like mentioned. He's like, you know, I, I thought I heard kids playing downstairs in the basement, right? And I was like, okay, it's okay, right? Well, because I don't want because he he gets scared, so I wasn't gonna say anything to him. And then you know I was sleeping one night, and then. I when I actually wasn't sleeping. I I was supposed to be sleeping, and then my husband was snoring, so I left the room. And I went to my my daughter's room, and I was just like trying to settle down in my daughter's room with her. And then I I just heard a music box like really loudly, and we don't have a music box, so. Oh my god! 
a really loud music box. And you know, I, I got up and I walked to the different rooms to try to find it and I couldn't find it. And then I went downstairs to the basement, you know, the next day, putting like something away in the laundry. And then I was like, you know what, there's a, a kid's section in the basement, you know, and I went in and there was a music box in there. Wow. I have a feeling you have so many, so many, so many stories, but it sounds like you have kind of resigned yourself to living with these experiences and none of them have really felt threatening necessarily, but it's just like, they're letting you know we're here. We're just here. It's culture. You know, I think it's culture and it's religion. And, you know, there's people that are going to say, oh, you know, wow, you're crazy or wow, you know, there's this. And that's fine. That's what faith is, right? I mean, the people say the same thing for believing in God. And if you believe God, they think you're crazy. And, you know, some people do. Yeah. 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 Some people do. And some people don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I figure there are plenty of people who are like agnostic or have, you know, don't, don't really have a faith tradition, but they might still believe in like something a little that they can't explain UFOs or fairies yep. or whatever. <laughs> there might be something <laughs> you never know. Uh, you know, Santa Claus, I mean, the inexplicable, but anyhow, thank you so much. Jane. this has been a really, it's been a fun conversation, even though I've had lots of chills and a little bit of a little bit of some scares too, but I really appreciate it. And I would love to continue to talk to you, like, as you have experience. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about like documenting this stuff or like doing, you're a journalist. You could do a whole like project around it. I could. And then I would like to maintain somewhat of my credibility. (laughs) Just a little bit. bit. Can you please tell our listeners how they can find your work, especially uh, the Prison Journalism Project um, and find you online and follow you? Okay, well, um, you can look us up at prisonjournalismproject.org. That is our publication. We're super excited about it. And, you know, we're, we focus on incarcerated men and women, formerly incarcerated, and incarceration impacted, because we understand that the impact of people inside is so much wider. And that net is so huge that we want to hear the stories of everyone that's been, you know, involved in any way, shape or form, whether it's a family member, loved one, friend, or even if they worked with people and it's, it's touched them. So we're always looking for those stories. You can find me um, uh, on Twitter at Prof Pasha. Prof Pasha. Yeah, P-R-O-F-P-A-S-H-A. Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Now, there are as many people in the world with gin stories as there are gin. So if you have one you'd like to share, make sure to email it to me at thehiddengin at gmail.com. That's thehiddengin, T-H-E-H-I-D-D-E-N-D-J-I-N-N at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, we are not alone. The Hidden Gin is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. The podcast is written and hosted by Rabia Chaudhry and produced by Miranda Hawkins and Trevor Young, with executive producers Aaron Mankey, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Our theme song was created by Patrick Cortez. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.